God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Holy Spirit, help us not to become overly familiar with the great transaction that has gone on in our lives. We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness, from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. We have been transferred. That to me is absolutely incredible. And even though I've known Jesus for so many years, longer than most of you have been born, but I just daily say, God, let me be lost in the wonderment of what it means to be a born-again, spirit-filled child of God. Because it's so easy to lose wonderment. Sometimes you come across a scene of nature and you go, wow, just incredible. You know, you see some incredible scenes, but... Then you get an understanding by the Spirit what it means to be born again, Spirit-filled, to be transferred from the domain of darkness into this kingdom that the Apostle Paul says is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I have been transferred. Put it simply, I've changed address. I've changed address. And when Satan comes knocking, I can say to him, I no longer live there anymore. I've changed address. Don't send those things to my account, to my address. I have moved address. I no longer live under the jurisdiction of Satan. I live under the jurisdiction of Jesus Christ. I'm living under His Lordship. I have been transferred from that kingdom into the kingdom of righteousness or being and doing right that produces peace, that produces joy in the Holy Spirit. And you could read that text, we've moved into a domain of righteousness in the Spirit. We've moved into the jurisdiction of peace in the Holy Spirit. We've moved into the jurisdiction of joy. You want to know real joy, get amongst Christians. Well, most of them anyway, you know, I mean, the real joy is found in the house of God. When Rob was saying, imagine heaven, do you know what I was imagining? A party. It says there's joy in the presence of God over the one person that repents. And it was almost like the angels said, there's another one. There's another one. There's another one. Coming out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of heaven. And all heaven rejoices. I have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of righteousness, peace and joy. In order that I would be transformed. I have been transferred in order that I get changed, transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, into His image. And I'm going to be transformed by the will of God and radically changed in the way I do life. You can't help but be different when you come into God's kingdom. It's a bit like emigrating. When you live in a different country, there's a different time zone, there's a a different currency, there's a different way of doing things. And there's some challenges in the change. Now you could and I could say, well, my natural tendency is to live the old way. I am not going to change my clock. You may be seven hours ahead, but I'm going to live on the old time time zone. In fact, I'm going to live like I used to live. Well, the reality is, if you want to enjoy the new place you're living, sooner or later, things are going to have to change. Things are going to have to change. And when you come to Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we're going to come to the verses in a minute. I'm just setting this up. 
When you come to Matthew 5, 6 and 7, this is the manifesto, this is the manifesto of the kingdom. This is Jesus laying out his alternative, as someone calls it, his alternative society. This is what it means to live in the kingdom of rightness, righteousness, thinking, doing, being right by God's grace. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And in this kingdom, righteousness is central. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. And righteousness is by its very definition relational. It's to do with relationships. This way, God, thank you by your grace, I have rightness through Jesus Christ. It is amazing to be born again. If we're going to win a world, we've got to be overflowing with this amazement. I am a son and daughter of the living God. I have been changed. I am being changed into his likeness. But people say, what you've got, I want. Don't know what it is, but I want what you've got. And so we come to Matthew chapter 5 and verses 33 and 37. If you have your Bible, you might want to follow this through. While you're finding that, just to say that I bought some books. I wrote this book about 20 years ago. You can tell that by the photo of me on the back. You can have a laugh at that, you know, oh, he's aged. Well, there are some f- copies down there. If you've not got one of these, it's called Eight Characteristics of Highly Effective Christians. It's all on the Beatitudes. They are free, and you can help yourself to one of those. Thank you, Chris. That's good. That's fine, folks. It's all right. Free. Free, absolutely. Thank you, Darren. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> okay, Matthew chapter 5. Verse 33, again you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath either, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is his city, of, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Move on. Uh, Verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more comes from evil or the evil one. Verse 37. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Now in the preparation, I've read these verses a number of times. And having read them, I'm in a dilemma. I really am in a dilemma. Because four out of the five verses are talking about promises, vows, oaths. And yet the main point seems to come in verse 37. Let what you say simply uh, be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And I find myself with what James writes in his fifth chapter, verse 12, the book of James. He takes this point and raises it again. And he says, but above all, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, the danger is 
Now, I think I could miss the wood for the trees. I could miss the wood for the trees. Or I, I could get into a Sherlock Holmes, Dr. Watson situation. Say, what on earth are you on about? Well, there's a story that um, Sherlock and Holmes, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson went on a camping trip. And the story is, you may have heard it. Um, they went on this camping trip and they had a great meal, drank a bottle of wine, and decided to turn into the night. So they turned into their tent for the night and, and went to sleep. Several hours later, Holmes nudged his faithful friend, Watson, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. Watson replied, I see millions and millions of stars. What does that tell you? Watson pondered for a moment and said, Astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce the time is about a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you? Holmes was silent for a minute and then spoke. It tells me that someone stole the tent. Sometimes you can miss the wood for the trees. And I think when you read these verses, it would be so easy to get locked into the issues of verses 33 to 36 and miss the importance of verse 37. Jesus is not. I don't believe Jesus is prohibiting people from taking oaths, both in the Old and the New Testament, that on a number of occasions God speaks to his people about taking, making promises in a very positive way. But what he's highlighting here, and this is Jesus, he's highlighting that scribes and Pharisees were faking it. They are perverting the Mosaic law to suit their own ends. They're taken up with the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law. They're twisting the truth. They're becoming, they're making what one person calls evasive oaths. They're making promises by um, by a city, the city of Jerusalem, by the heavens and by the earth, and even, I don't know how they did this, but by their own head. It was anyone or anything apart from bringing in the name of God. They didn't want to use the name of God in making their promises, their empty promises, because they didn't want to invoke judgment upon their promises. The issue here is truth. That's the whole issue. It's truth. And we're living in a generation when truth is under attack. I read something by uh, Tom Wright this week, and um, we have it as a quote. He says, the reality is we live in a culture in which truth is often the first casualty of interaction between men. We have an incredible elaborate system of lawyers, contracts, and notorieties, notaries, and binding signatures to to ensure what we say we do, at least when we perceive it to be important. And none of it makes people more truthful. In fact, 
most people dismiss truth as an objective reality. Barner Organization did some research recently. This is in America, but I have no reason to think it would be any different in Europe. And they found that 22% of adults in America believed in absolute truth. Only 22%. But here's the real kicker. When it came to born-again, spirit-filled believers, it said they found that only 32% of adults believed in absolute truth. But this gets worse. They said 9%, only 9% of teenagers who professed to be followers of Christ believed in absolute truth. Truth. Through the media, through the newspapers, whatever you do, it is under attack. To believe in moral truth, absolute truth, truth is under attack. And it seems that from the beginning of time, this has been satanic strategy. Satanic strategy has been to attack truth. See, I believe Satan is jealous of the relationship we enjoy with God. And he will do anything to affect that relationship. He sees the, the sonship, the, the God, the Father God that we enjoy. And he doesn't like it because he used to know that kind of relationship and doesn't like the relationship we're in. So he comes to attack. And the way he comes to attack is, is one of the ploys to attack absolute truth. He'll question it. Did God really say that? Then having questioned it, he'll confuse it. And we live in a confused generation. And then having confused it, he will try and destroy it. But here in Matthew chapter 5, is personified truth standing up teaching. Here's Jesus. Here is Jesus, the Word made flesh. Here is Jesus who said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he's challenging people's perceptions, traditions, and assumptions, and them and us, he's call, calling on us to look at the way we relate truthfully with one another. Here I think Jesus is getting to the core of man's character, and he's talking about three things. He's talking about honesty, integrity, and authenticity. Honesty, integrity, and authenticity. I think when I read Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37, to me this is God's heart cry for verbal honesty. That we are verbally honest. Now, that's a challenge. I understand as I read scripture that it might be easy to identify, you know, profanity, lies, slander, criticism, hurtful words as the enemy of righteousness. But letting your yes be yes and your no be no is taking conversations to a whole new level. Verse 37, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. And Jesus here is talking about our words being exact and our words not be exaggerating. Now I need to illustrate this. In the 90s, we spent a whole year in a, in a large church of around 3,000 people. And to tell you how large the uh, the building where they met was, their foyer, foyer was probably about as long as this room from one end to another and about three times as deep. That's just the foyer. It is a big building. And so we would often in the week wander across this foyer to get from one side to the other. And you would meet people you recognize coming the other way. And there was a classic response. Hi, how are you doing? 
Yes, good, thank you. And generally it does stop, you just wander by. And it, it got very kind of insincere. And I thought, did they really listen to my answer? And there's a little bit within me that wanted to get a bit naughty. And they were saying, hi, how are you doing? I'm near death. I'm about to die. I guarantee what we're, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. And you get some of the classic charismatic responses. Why? Because they weren't listening for an answer. And sometimes when we, not sometimes, I think when we ask questions and when we answer questions, there is an equal responsibility. If you ask a question, I should really want to know an answer. So I said, how are you? I really do want to know how you are. It's not just a, oh, this is what we do in church. How are you? But I really want to know where you're coming from and by the help of God's Holy Spirit that maybe I can pray into that situation. I can pray into that. And when we ask questions, maybe we ought to ask ourselves, before we ask the question, do I really want to know the answer? I was talking to my, and this is my wife's illustration, please. So this is my get out clause. When we were talking to this to Tina, she was saying, well, maybe some questions as partners we shouldn't ask. Do I look fat in this? <laughs> I mean, where do you go with an answer? You know, you're on a, and maybe some of the questions we ask, we need to say, do I really want an answer? Because the asker and the answerer, there's an equal responsibility. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. So Jesus here is talking about our words being honest or exact. But he's also talking about don't use exaggeration. <laughs> sorry, sorry, my mind. My mind is going off into all directions now because we so often exaggerate. You know, if a man's ill, he's dying. No, Tina, you don't say yes there. You, you know, it's a no fact that if we get flu, we get man flu, and flu is far worse from, you know, and we exaggerate. And sometimes we exaggerate in order to impress. And that's not, I don't, Jesus said, don't exaggerate. I think it's the message Bible says, making your words true by embellishing them. Adding little bits on to make it sound even better in order to impress. Jesus here, the heart cry is for verbal honesty. To that, I think we can add personal integrity. I tell you as someone in my age group, I am praying that is a fresh ba baptism of personal integrity. Verbal honesty is speaking the truth. Integrity is doing what you said you would do when you said you would do it. That's integrity. It's being honorable to the word that you say. Now, I need to add something here because I read about the Apostle Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians. He said, I want to make it clear. I did say I was coming, but God stopped me. So I made a promise, but I can't keep it. And this is the reason. And he said, don't think that when I say yes, I mean no, or when I say no, I mean yes. I want to make it sure. I believe in a God who keeps to his word. And I'm the same kind of individual. My word, I want to keep to my word. But here's the reason. And so if I make a promise and I can't keep it, it is honorable to say, I'm sorry, I can't make it. I really can't make it. And these are the, okay. 
It's when we make a promise and we don't keep it. I said, where are they? I thought they were coming. And I believe that is part of the Christ-like kingdom nature. That he has transferred us from one kingdom into his kingdom. And he's transforming us. You know, your word is your bond. If they say it, they'll do it. Why? Because they are people who keep the word. Because they want a mirror image of God who keeps his word. What if God didn't have integrity? What if God didn't have honesty? We would be in a terrible mess. Ted Engstrom wrote wrote a book on integrity and James Dobson of Care for the Family um, wrote in the preface to his book. He said, integrity is as important in the boardroom as it is in the bedroom. It is as important in the family room as it is in the classroom. Doing what we said we would do. It is a pleasure to do business with that person. Why? Because I see that they're men and women of integrity. And what they say they will do. I just know they'll follow through on their promise. That's how the world needs to view Christendom. That we are men and women of integrity. Some of you are too young to even know this picture, what this picture means. If we could put that photograph up. January the 28th, 1986. This is a, I, when I pr- share these days, it's kind of a history lesson. I kind of, <laughs> you know, you weren't around when this happened, but let me just tell you what happened. I remember these images and some of you may remember them. They are the images of Challenger. The shuttle aircraft that 72 seconds into its launch disintegrated. The tragedy is um, the first citizen to be taken into space was on that flight. She was a teacher, Krista. And her class was watching the launch and so were her parents. 72 seconds into the flight, it just disintegrates. Let's go to the next slide. This is the whole group that were on Challenger that day. A tragedy. Integrity not only affects individuals, it affects whole groups. It has a way of affecting a broader sphere than often just one-to-one. It can affect a marriage, it can affect a friendship, but it can affect a church, it can affect a whole Christian community. This, The morning of the launch of Challenger was a very, very cold morning. And there was a number of worried individuals. No one knew this. But the engineers were worried that the seals on the booster rockets would hold because they'd never launched in these low temperatures. Was it safe to launch was the question. Knowledgeable engineers said no. Influential executives and planners said yes. Power overruled reason, and integrity was the victim. Integrity was the victim. God, help us to be honest. What we say is truthful. But help us, Lord, to live in this kingdom, and the kingdom is a kingdom that is an alternative society. And we stand out so significantly in this day and age because we live by a different code. We live by God's word. What we say we will do and that we live with integrity. So let me put the final piece to this equation. Honesty plus integrity 
equals authenticity. Jesus was here addressing the unreality of the scribes and the Pharisees. They were faking it. They were wearing religious masks. They were pretending to be what they weren't. And they were trying to do what they could to become socially acceptable. Into this setting, Jesus begins to lay the foundations of his alternative society. A place where reality reigns. A community. Now imagine this, a community where people can be open and honest without fear of rejection. This is what Jesus is presenting here. This is the basis to his community, his his alternative society. A place where people find love and acceptance no matter what they've said or done. A place where people are free to be themselves. A place where people want to be the real deal. You say, if I could find a community like that, I'd join it. I'd become a part of it. Well, here's the good news. It exists. It's called the church. It's called the church. This is the church Jesus is building where people can be open and honest without fear. How are you doing? Well, to be honest, I'm struggling. You are? Can I pray with you? Or how are you doing? Glory to God, I'm doing great. Deep inside you're dying. I want to be in a place where I can be honest. Now, you have to be careful with that honesty. You're not going to be honest with everyone. There needs to be a, a level of relationship. I'm not going to walk out of this building and find the first stranger and they say, hi, how are you doing? Actually, I'm not doing well. So there is a relationship, then, that, that level of trust, but where people can be open and honest without fear of rejection, where people find love and acceptance no matter what. I know a lot of this that you've covered in the whole uh, culture of uh, Jubilee. People are free to be themselves. People want to be the real deal. It's church. The church that God is building is a gathering of people who experience love and acceptance. An environment in which Christians are authentic and genuine in their conversations. Can I be honest here? Thank you. I can't. (laughs) I didn't wait for an answer. I want to be, I want to be amongst people who are real. Don't you? Authentic. It's okay not to have the plastic grin or to have the mask that says, I'm doing good, you know. But to be able to be honest and open without thinking, I'm going to be rejected. I'm, I'm not marrying up to what is the expectation of Christianity. You know, that I'm not this supersonic saint that got changed in a telephone booth just outside there. And I came in here as Superman, Superwoman. Here I am, God's power for the hour, you know. I'm the answer. This is who you've been waiting for. I don't want to be like that. <laughs> you know, just in a quick turn and this, I want to be open and I say, well, I still believe God is on the throne. I still believe he's in total control. But right now I'm struggling with the finances. I'm struggling with this, but I'm believing that God is going to pull me through. That's great. Let's pray. I want to be open and honest. An alternative society in which people can be honest about themselves without fear of rejection, and those around them will support them and strengthen them in their desire to change. I have been transferred, hallelujah, into a kingdom where I'm being transformed. And the thing is, I need people to help me. I may have come out of the tomb like Lazarus, but I need those loving people who will help unravel the stuff that's still around my life. And still holding me, you know, like the disciples. Jesus said, you loose them and let them go. That's where church comes in. That's where friendship comes. Say, well, 
I'm free, but the stuff I'm, I'm seeking to be free from. So on base, the basis of Matthew 5, verses 3 to 37, I believe it's this simple equation. Honesty plus integrity equals authenticity. This is the society which Jesus is building. This is what God is building in his church. And I'm saying, I want to be, I'm in for that, Lord. I'm up for that. I'm up for that to be part and parcel of your kingdom. This potentially is one of the most exciting generations in which we could possibly live in. Because light and darkness is becoming so clear what is light and what is darkness. And we can show the world what the kingdom of light is all about as we live as citizens of the kingdom. Now, I want to close this morning and I want to pray for three groups of people. And even if you don't come within either of these groups, I'd like you to join me in prayer. I want to pray, first of all, for parents. I'm a grandparent. And I look at parents today and I think, we need to pray for you. That God will strengthen you. Because your children will learn the secret of yes and no in the environment of the home. You will teach them how to be honest. And what yes and no actually means. And sometimes there is a fear that potentially comes over parents that they don't want to say no. And then children hate the word no. I have a granddaughter. There's this, this intense hatred with the word no. No means it's a spoiler. I don't want to hear no. Please say yes. Well, life's not like that. Sometimes even God says no. Sometimes life says no, and I believe the home is an environment where children grow up and they learn the meanings of yes, and they also learn the the meanings of no. They learn verbal honesty. I'd like to pray for marriages, partners, that God would help us within our marriage. And this section I've read comes off the back of the whole marriage issue. And I know Rob's going to be looking at that, God willing, next Sunday. But out of the covenant, the vow of marriage, comes this section. And you know, the promise for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness, in health. That is a vow, that is a promise, that is a promise made before God. And yet we live in a day where it is so challenging to live with honesty, integrity, and authenticity within the marriage. And then simply in a one-to-one basis. God helped Jubilee Church to be a place that people know. You go there, you'll find reality. Good and bad. You find people being honest and feeling free to be honest with others. With the challenges they're meeting. And I'd like us to pray that. I have a real fear that now after the meeting's over, no one's going to ask anyone, how are you doing? <laughs> because people are going to say, oh, I'm going to be well. I, I, let's relax about this. There is a principle here of honesty. And say, Lord, help me to be honest in the right environment with the right people to be honest and open. But Lord, when I ask someone, if you ask someone, be real enough to say, I really do want to know, how are you? And they will know also that you really mean that. And when you answer, if you feel secure enough in there, the relationship you have with that individual, you could say, actually, would you pray with me? I am struggling. Right now, I am struggling. With this issue. Or would you rejoice with me? I've had a great week. This has been a week of weeks. My business has gone whoosh. 
Things are happening. I've seen healing and I've seen miracles in my home life. This has been a great week. You know, rejoice with me. That's a good one to meet with, isn't it? How are you doing? I am doing great. Because God has been absolutely awesome. He can't help but being that. But he has been awesome throughout my whole week. True? If you lay hands on me, I could do with a bit of that. But it is the honesty and the openness. So will you stand with me, please? I'd like us, first of all, to pray for parents. What a challenge that is. It's a glorious gift to have children. But as they're growing up, bring up a child in the way he should go, he or she should go, That whole text in Proverbs means find out what is the best way to bring up that child. Everyone's different. And bring them up in the best way. You know, the creators. Make sure they get creative. And God give you grace. Father, join me as we pray. Father, I just pray for the parents that are part of this community. God, give them wisdom. Give them strength. Give them patience. Give them courage to help to bring up their children in the ways that you would have them brought. Lord, in this whole realm of helping them to understand the yes and the no, their children grow up in the understanding of what it means to be verbally honest. Father, we pray blessing upon our children. All the children that are part of Jubilee Church, your blessing to be upon them. All the parents, we pray a blessing upon the parents. You will help them in these challenging times, and also in the times that are great rejoicing. Father, I pray for us who are partners, for those in marriage. Pray, Lord, you will keep us living our Christian life when no one else sees us. Lord, behind closed doors, what goes on, that it will be a life of integrity, that we're living a life that's doing what we said we would do. When no one else is listening, Lord, you are. When no one else is watching, you're watching. Lord, let our life be honest, truthful. There's an integrity shown in you. And Lord, I pray for the whole level of relationships, one with another in this house. Lord, let it be known as a house where you can be real and people will stand with you. You don't have to perform in a certain way. You don't have to come from a certain part of town. You don't have to be a certain culture or a certain age. But you can go and be who you are. And by the grace of God, you will not only experience the transference from one kingdom to another, but the transformation of God's grace that you will be made more and more in the image of Jesus Christ. Father, we ask these things in the name of him who is the truth, the life and the way. The word personified. We ask it in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.